Let's say a prayer as we continue here. Father God, we thank you for gathering us today. May you open our hearts and our lives to hear the words that you want to speak to us. And may we respond in such a way that would bring transformation in our lives and the world around us. So God, remove me and may people hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. That video was from an organization called Dare to Share. And they basically take the word gospel and turn it into a cross stick, which allows you to share the hope that we find in Christ by simply going through the words gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. So it goes, God created us to be with him. Our sins separated us from God. Sin cannot be removed by good deeds. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone, anyone and everyone who believes in Christ alone has eternal life. And life with Jesus starts now. It means that we get to be with him forever. The reason I have that memorized is when somebody asks about the hope that I have, at least I have a simple answer. And I'm not like, well, um, I'm not quite sure where to go with this. And I have had many opportunities to simply share the gospel with people. We're using that acrostic. Now, as we continue on from Easter, we are entering a series on who is this Jesus? All of us, no matter whether or not you believe in Jesus, we live in light of the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Our calendar is designed around the birth of Jesus. That you right now, the year we're living in, we basically rewind and say 2,018 years ago, or right around there, is when Jesus was born. Arguably, Jesus is the most influential person in all of history. No matter how hard people try, he cannot be ignored. Jesus has been loved and hated by the great and the simple, rulers and beggars. His name has been spoken from shacks to mansions, from positions of power to those sold into slavery. Jesus' name is still used for cursing and blessing and praising. He has been the subject of countless pieces of art, debates, books, movies, classes. And it still seems when somebody asks, who is Jesus?, it's hard to come up with a simple answer. And the answers can range from anything from legend and myth to God in flesh. Now, if you go with the vast amount of historians, they no longer argue about whether or not Jesus historically existed as a person. The argument begins with regards to why he came and who he is. There are many references to Jesus beyond the Bible in historical documents, but the main point where we find references to Jesus' life are in the four Gospels, which are the four first books in the New Testament. Gospel simply means good news, and these are four books about the good news of Jesus Christ written by four different people. These four different individuals either were in direct contact with Jesus or it was somebody dictating to them about Jesus' life. All four of these books were written within 70 years after Jesus' ascension. So it's very close to the source and time of when Jesus was actually here on earth. And these books are a window into the most incredible person in all of history. And the Bible is a book that is worth reading. Be it you're reading it for your first time or your 50th time, it's a great book to get into. If you don't have a Bible, why not download one? The Bible app's a great app. Just find one that you can actually read and understand. 
If you're wondering about who Jesus is and if you've never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why not begin with one of those books to see what the, the actual Bible says about him versus what I say or other people say about Jesus? And over the next few weeks, we simply invite you on a journey to explore who this Jesus is. And today we're going to look at Jesus as Savior. And we start in the Old Testament to frame in who this Jesus is. Because if we understand Jewish culture and Jewish time, it's going to help us understand who the Savior is that we look at in the New Testament. Within Jewish culture at the time of Jesus, there was this word used called Messiah. And Messiah meant anointed one. In the New Testament, the word Messiah is translated as Christ. So no, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's actually a title that's given to Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the one that is set apart by God. In the Old Testament, the anointed ones, the Messiahs, the Christ were the ones who were positioned with authority to rule over the nation of Israel. So a king, in a sense, would have been the anointed one. Literally, a prophet would come and take oil and anoint the king with oil, and God would empower this king with his spirit to exercise this duty as a ruler in the kingdom of Israel. As kings came and went throughout the history of Israel, there were many prophets that would come and make predictions that in the future, an anointed one was going to come, and a Messiah was going to come who would set up an everlasting kingdom on the throne of David. David was the second king of Israel. And that this, this king would come, this Messiah, this anointed one, and he would have an incredible political, physical, ruling force forever on earth. So when Jesus came, all of the arrows from a Jewish perspective Perspective are pointing towards Jesus reestablishing a physical kingdom where he would rule and reign forever. Then Jesus begins to preach and teach and talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And what do you think the Jewish people are hearing when Jesus is talking about kingdom? They aren't thinking spiritual, they are thinking a physical kingdom. That one is coming to set up a kingdom. At that time, the Romans were the occupying force in the nation of Israel. And so they would be hearing no more occupying forces. We're getting our kingdom back, our land back. And that Jesus is going to establish this physical throne forever in the nation of Israel. He's going to be their powerful, physical Messiah, anointed one, Savior. Jesus for king, you could hear him shouting. If it was nowadays, Jesus for president, Jesus for governor. And when we say this term, that there was a messianic fervor around the life of Jesus, you have to hear that the Jewish people believed Jesus had come to deliver them from all the physical things that they were facing. Isn't it true that we want a savior that will change our personal circumstances? And make our lives easier without us having to do anything? If only Jesus would get rid of the Romans, the Jews would cry. Maybe we cry, if only Jesus would change the political environment or change my job, my family, my health, my looks. 
If only Jesus would do something physically, then life would be good. We want a savior, but many of us want a savior that will save us from a bad boss, an underpaying job, an oppressive work environment. We want deliverance from physical, temporary issues that we face every day. So we pray or we think in this way and we say, Jesus, save me from my coworkers. Jesus, save me from my bad boss. Jesus, save me from the school and all my homework. Jesus, save me from these temporary situations and struggles. Jesus, save me from this family that you gave me. (laughs) And we blame. And we look at everything temporary right in front of us. And we look at Jesus and we want a savior. We want a personal savior who's going to be our personal problem solver. Our own superhero, our genie in a bottle, the one who will make everything better for me. And when he doesn't show up in that way, in our image as a Messiah, the anointed one, we get mad, we get disillusioned, we shake our fists at God and say, Why didn't you show up in my image? And since you haven't shown up in my image, I won't believe in you. I will deny who you are. And maybe we don't say it, but just like the religious leaders of the day at Jesus' time, we're thinking, let's be done with this kind of Savior. Let's be done with this Messiah. Let's crucify him. How disturbing would the words of Jesus be to the Jewish people during his betrayal when he said in John 18.36, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Or after his resurrection in Acts 1, 6, when his closest followers had gathered together and they began to ask Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Do you hear what they're saying? After his death and resurrection, they're asking, now's the time for the physical kingdom, right, Jesus? And here's closest followers are still so focused on temporary physical deliverance. He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. In other words, even his followers wanted a powerful king on a physical throne and Jesus told them, no, 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 no. You are going to be my powerful witnesses throughout all nations, not just one nation, through all nations, through all the world. And by the way, I'm leaving How disturbing would that be to the people right there that wanted Jesus physically present on a a throne and after telling them that they are going to be witnesses, he leaves. Jesus, um, I think you're confused. Now let's jump over to Matthew 28, 18. And here's what Jesus also told his disciples right towards the end of um, his time on earth. I've been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, 
I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Once again, Jesus redirects from a physical kingdom to a worldwide, supernatural, spiritual kingdom where Jesus is king and has all authority and all power, but he says, I want you because I'm in that position to go and make followers of me throughout the whole world. Teach them to obey. Teach them to follow. Set up the kingdom. Christians are not just supposed to be these nice people. Followers of Christ are meant to be people who are empowered by the Spirit of God, commissioned by their King Jesus, filled with the power of God, bringing the supernatural kingdom of God here on earth. And it happens as one life is transformed. And another life is transformed. And another life is transformed. And as these people come together in the supernatural kingdom, we together form the kingdom of God here on earth. It's not about a position of power, but it's about a position being empowered by God's spirit to bring that message to the nations. Now, if you read back through the Gospels, you can find all these parables that Jesus states about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. A lot of times people even talk about their parables, but they forget the first line that says, the kingdom of God is like, which frames in the whole parable. And in these parables, you'll read that the kingdom comes not with things that are necessarily being seen, but it's like yeast that at night, you know, the bread is flat and in the morning it is, it's raised, but something supernatural has happened there. And it permeates life and society, but it's not always in the same set of power structures or authority as we look at. Often we focus on the wrong view of the Messiah, the anointed one. And we're simply looking for external change, external rule and reign. But Jesus came to save us from something even greater than our temporary situations. Is he concerned about all the things in our life? Yes. So don't misunderstand me there. But there's something that we have to dig deeper with and take a look at and peel back some layers and see that Jesus is dealing with some things even deeper than physical issues. Now, as we talk about Jesus as Savior, what is it that Jesus came to save us from? There are multiple things that we could talk about, but I'm going to simply talk about three this morning. And first, Jesus came to save us from sin. Sin has fallen out of popularity. We don't use that term in our culture a real lot. But basically, we can define sin as anything we think, say, or do that dishonors God. According to his standard. (laughs) Because if we do it according to our standard, we'll make up whatever we want to be sin or not to be sin. But as we look at God's word, we can see right and wrong within there. So Jesus has come to save us from sin. The things that we think, say, or do that dishonors God. Romans 6.23 states, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came to deal with sin. Past, present, future. Jesus knew that no one was good enough. Nobody was perfect, pure, and faultless in the presence of God. So Jesus came as a pure, perfect, blameless, faultless, substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. He was the gift. The gift was him. And he took the full 
punishment and brunt of our sin through his sacrifice on the cross. The cross is the full payment for our sin. Jesus came to save us from our sin. Next, Jesus came to save us from death. There are three categories of death. Physical, spiritual, and eternal. All of us have a general concept about physical death when your heart no longer continues to beat and we physically die. But many of us don't think about the concepts of spiritual and eternal death. Romans 5.21 reads, So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin brings death. Jesus brings life. And this life that Jesus brings starts now. It's not just something in the future. It begins now and goes into all of eternity. 1 John 5, 11-12 states it this way, And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. And this verse is not talking about physical life. It's talking about spiritual, supernatural life that is found in Jesus Christ. And it happens now, and it lasts forever. And Jesus removes the consequence of sin, which is death, and gives us life. It's uncomfortable to talk about people being spiritually dead and eternally dead. And when we talk about these concepts, it never should be with a bullhorn on a corner saying, repent or burn. It should be with uttermost compassion and care. Jesus talked a lot about eternal consequences, but also at key times in his ministry, he got up and said, come to me to find life. Come to me for real life. Living water. Come to me as the resurrection and the life. And Jesus puts out an invitation to life, to break free from all the death that has taken over our lives. Before I encountered Christ at the age of 20, I thought I was living. I was partying, I was having a great time. And don't misunderstand me, partying is a lot of fun. Because if it wasn't, nobody would do it. Okay? But the reality is, That when I look back on the first 20 years of my life and now the second, I can see the life I have is so much more rich and full and rewarding that compared to simply going to a party that pales in comparison to the life that Christ has given me. In our society, we have moved to so much more of virtual relationships with people. And when was the last time besides like in a romantic encounter you look somebody into the eyes It talks about the eyes are a window to your soul. And have you ever taken a moment to look into somebody's eyes? And I know I've had moments in my life where I looked into somebody's eyes and went, there is some supernatural life in this person. Or on the flip side, this person, their eyes, we say, are hollow or dead. It's incredible that what's going on in your soul, what's going on on inside, inside comes out through your eyes. And I wonder if we paused more and simply looked at each other, not in a weird, awkward way, (laughs) if that would actually help us to be more in tune with the state of the people around us. 
God has come to bring supernatural life on the inside of us. And this life is only found in Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus came to save us from death and give us life. And finally, Jesus came to save us from separation. Separation from God and from others. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against us against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore, implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Where sin separates, Christ unites. He took our place for every single wrong we have done. Do you hear in this last section in this verse that he made him who knew no sin, a perfect person, he became sin for all of our sin so that we could be reunited in relationship with God. This is not a formula for some religious system. This is about being brought back into relationship with a holy God. That we can now literally walk into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. That there's no longer barriers, no longer walls, no longer separation. That we can walk, walk into God's presence through what Christ has done. And then because of that reconciliation, because we have encountered Christ in that way, and if you've encountered Christ in that way, now he tells us he has given us that message for others. To tell them to be reconciled to God, but also for us to reconcile relationships around us. In Romans 12, it talks about as far as on your half, on my half, we should live at peace with all people. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. That if we have a restored relationship with God, it should overflow into a restored relationship with others. We can't force people to live in healthy relationships with us, but we can make movement forward in those relationships. Throughout my time as a pastor, I have encountered people who really didn't like me. Can you imagine that, somebody not liking me? Come on. But I've made a choice along the way to love and not back away from people. At times it was not easy, but I've made a choice to walk towards people. At one point in my ministry, there was actually a really difficult situation that happened in the church, and many people left the church. The next Sunday, I got up and um, said to the church, you know, I know that many people left the church, but I refuse to walk around our town or city and look at people cross-eyed and sideways. I choose to love and embrace And so when I went out and I was walking through Home Depot at times and I saw that person who no longer attended, I had a choice to make of which way I was headed with my cart. Was I going away from them or was I going towards them? And I would say the majority of the time, the only times that I really didn't was when I was in a hurry. It was not intentionally that I ever avoided anybody. 
I always made sure to at least go up and greet them and whether or not they were happy to see me, that was their business. But I made a choice not to live in broken relationship with others. I remember that the first time that I was voted in as a pastor, one person voted against me becoming a pastor. I didn't know who that was, but I didn't walk around like, hmm, I wonder who it is. You know, who didn't like me here? But years later, an individual came back to me and said, I was the one, and I'm sorry because I was wrong. I'm like, thanks for telling me. You know, I wasn't making any accusations. At another point, I had uh, this person I was at odds with in the church. Um, and instead of ignoring it, I think I probably did something wrong. I just default that I probably did something. But um, I made a choice to go towards them. Made the phone call, invited them out for lunch. Simply said, you know, is there something that I, we need to take care of here? Something we need to deal with? And I made a choice to draw closer. Did we become best friends after that lunch? No. But at least I could say, as far as on my half, because of me being reconciled with Christ, I was going to be a minister of bringing reconciliation around us. It's not easy. But when you've encountered Christ as your Savior, and he has saved you from your sin, he has saved you from death, he has saved you from separation from a holy God, our response should overflow into our lives. And today, if you have never received Christ, I invite you to invite him into your life. It says, to as many as receive him, to those he gave the right to become children of God. If you know Christ, I hope this is a good reminder of what Christ has come to save you from. And it's not past. It's both past, present, and future. And we need to embrace Jesus as Savior today. A great thing that we get to celebrate today is the baptism of Andrew Gackenbach. And so um, to finish our, our, our service today, you're going to see a little video. And then uh, I'll have the opportunity to baptize Andrew. And so it's an exciting time. He's making the quick change right there with the little one. But as we take a moment to just slowly reflect on Jesus as Savior and then to celebrate a baptism here, I'd simply ask you to speak to God about what's going on in your own, own heart, in own life. And he has given us an incredible message. It's not just for us. It's for the world around us. So let me say a prayer, and then we're going to get to celebrate together this great moment. Father God, we thank you that you are our Savior, Jesus, that we don't follow a religious code or system, but we come to Jesus God in flesh, who is our Savior. And you have come to save us from the brokenness caused by sin and that death caused by sin and separation. And you've come to bring us back into full relationship with you. That we can be freely forgiven, that we can embrace new life in you, and that we can have a restored relationship with you and one another. And I pray, God, where we still have areas of brokenness in our lives, may we bring them to the cross and bring them to you. May we experience you as Savior in all these different ways. And Father, as we celebrate uh, this moment together with Andrew, may it be a great moment to hear how you have transformed his life and continued transformation in others' lives. In Jesus' name, amen.